Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Upside Swings of a Draft Podcast, the podcast of the high ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, always, always by, well, none of my other usual co-hosts, uh, they're, they're busy today, um, but that's all right because you guys are getting a double dose of Bryce today. Um, we'll probably talk about some other Bryce's uh, in this podcast as well, so so be ready for a, a you know a whole a whole load of Bryce's. And I'm joined, of course, by the great Bryce Simon. This is his third straight year coming on the podcast to talk Detroit Pistons. There's no one else I'd rather have on. He's a good friend, and he does great work. I really recommend checking out his recent profile of Omaha Bailu Bailu or Bilu. I can't remember exactly Baloo. how to say Bilu. Um, who's going to Iowa State, who him and I are both very high on. He wrote an excellent piece for Draft Digest. I'll put that in the description. He also does great work for the Pistons Pulse podcast, which is a Detroit Free Press uh, Pistons podcast where I get all my Pistons news. Bryce, my friend, how you doing? I'm good, man. Hey, I, as you're doing the intro, I was thinking it might be better that we don't have any co-hosts because I get very long-winded. And so for this podcast episode not to go three, four hours, it might be better that it's just me and you. You and I talked for, what, 30 minutes before we started recording, just talking back and forth about stuff. So this will be good. Thanks for the shout out. Yeah, if, if you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse podcast, Amari Sankofa, Pistons beat writer for the Free Press, and then a lot of draft work at Draft Digest an affiliate of SI and the Omaha Blue article. I will say this, Bryce, I put out a lot of content. That's probably the thing I'm most proud of. It's a story that goes beyond basketball, goes beyond sports. It's his journey. It's his life. And it cuts a lot of lines. And so I, I highly recommend, I know I'm biased, but if you're listening to this, you haven't read it, I highly recommend checking it out. No, I loved it. And I, uh, I, I know it's gotten a lot of love and it's very deserved. I think stuff like that is, is incredibly important. And I, I just... Again, like it's been really fun, Bryce. Like, like I mentioned, this is the third year we're doing this. When we first started, you like did not pay attention to the draft at all. It's, it was nope. like you were just kind of you and I both joined Twitter and and kind of po- the podcasting realm around the same time, and we've been you know following each other and and, and talking to each other nonstop basically since. And you know, it's, you've been a welcome addition to the draft space. Obviously, doing stuff for SI is huge. Uh, all your Pistons work, it's all great. So. I'm very excited to have you on again. There's no one else we'd rather have. Let's talk Pistons because this last year for the Pistons, I watched probably a good 30 to 40 games. Um, and I did not have fun a single time. I, I did not enjoy a single one of those games. So uh, aside from just the word miserable, how would you describe the Pistons season last year? So here's what I'll say, Bryce. I'm a little bit different. So to kind of go with what you were saying, I didn't start doing any of this till 2020. And I wasn't a Pistons fan growing up. I wasn't, I, I was a casual NBA fan. I watched the playoffs. I love Steph Curry. I watched college basketball. You know, I was just a basketball fan, right? And, you know, I came in and that season had started in December because of the COVID and then it got started again. And then the off season was very short. I went through the next season. And then that's why I got into the draft stuff, Bryce, was because now there was a real off season and I like wanted something to do. I wanted some film to break down and NBA draft guys were the only ones to do it with. So my point is I'm not as invested in this as much as a Pistons fan. So I just sit down almost as my job. It is my job to watch 82 games of Detroit Pistons basketball. And 
that's what I do. I just need to look for things to to break down, write about, talk about on the podcast. It wasn't a fun season, man. You know, there was a lot of expectations. There was play in talk, Bryce, with this team, especially after Boyan, you know, trade Alec Burks and Cade got hurt early in the season. Pretty much the only reason to tune in was watch Jaden Ivey and Jalen Dern. Yeah, so that does kind of take me to like the players on this team who you consider to be the building blocks. And that's not to necessarily say like they're untouchable or they're like certain starters or stars, but for any young team like this, it's kind of in a rebuild. There's going to be guys who you would consider the pillars who this, the future of this team is going to be in one way or another built around. Who are those guys for the Pistons? Cade and Ivy are the backcourt, right? And I'm sure we'll talk about some guys who maybe could change that just a little bit where maybe Cade plays more of as a three. But essentially, I I think especially since they didn't get the number one pick and no Victor Wimbenyama, Cade Cunningham is the face of the franchise. And I think some people forgot that that's not necessarily a bad thing, that there's some real upside to that. Jaden Ivey had a really good rookie season, got to get better defensively. I think Jalen Duran is truly, I, I know there's jokes about Troy Weaver and big man and he traded for Bagley and then he traded for Wiseman. I still think Duran is the guy. And then the fourth one, and this may surprise some people, and this is very polarizing with Pistons fans. I still think Isaiah Stewart is a little bit of a block or a pillar. Now I will say this, Bryce. He's not necessarily like the starter or anything like that. I just think he's a guy you can win with in the playoffs, especially if his three-point shot truly comes around. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on all those guys. And, and to speak on Cade a little bit, like I think Cade does get a little underrated um, as we kind of talk about this Pistons team and where they've been. The rookie year didn't go exactly as expected. And then obviously last year with injury, but he would be my second guy in this class. I, I preferred him as a prospect to, to Scoot and Amen and, and definitely Brandon Miller. Um, I, I would have per, I would have taken him first overall last year over Paolo, um, over Chet. I think he's just really good. Like his his caliber of passing, his pull-up shooting upside. Like he's like it's not his fault that he's struggled with injury and been on teams that were not built for his skill set. You bring him into a team next year that's going to have hopefully another top five pick. Jaden Ivey, uh, Duran, Stewart. Now it'd be nice to have maybe a little more shooting and, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, whether or not Bojan's going to be here, whether or not Alec Burks is going to be here, but it's starting to look more like a team that he could succeed on. And that's, that's incredibly important. Um, let's talk quickly too about the coaching search. There's been a lot of hubbub and you don't have to give me like a ton of names or anything, but just in general, like, what are you hoping to see from, from the next Pistons head coach? So I am probably the last person you want to talk to about Pistons coaching search because I just I don't think we have enough intel on coaches, right, to really know. We don't know how they act in the locker room. We Even these assistants, yeah, this guy, Charles Lee, is Mike Budenholder's, you know, top assistant. Does that mean he's going to coach just like Mike Budenholzer? Like, we don't know. Charles Lee... Kevin Ollie and Jaron Collins all got the flights to LA to meet with team owner, Tom Gores and have those interviews. That's been a little while. Like there's some, a little bit of uncertainty on what's going on right now. Monty Williams was a name that was floated as well. I'll be, I don't know who the front runner was. It's been reported a lot that Kevin Ollie was the front runner, Bryce. It sounds like Kevin Ollie was Troy Weaver's pick and maybe 
the ownership group pushed back on that. So I honestly don't know where things stand right now. Chris Quinn is a name that was floated around a lot at the beginning. Obviously, he's still coaching with the Miami Heat. Are they waiting for that to end and be able to interview him and really add him to the mix? So I don't know. I will tell you the name that popped to me right from the beginning when I did do the little bit of research you can do on a coach was Charles Lee. That was the name that interested me the most. But I want a creative offensive mind. That's where I really, that's where I think Dwayne Casey was a little bit lacking. Dwayne Casey is an incredible man, respected man, helped these guys grow into professionals. But I do think this roster takes some creativity offensively to utilize everybody the right way. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely some worry there as you talked about, like, is there conflict between Weaver and and like the the ownership group with who they actually want to hire? There's obviously some worry there, but I, I'm with you that my general thought on coaches is wait and see, right? Like all I heard about Darvin Ham was that he was bad. And like, I'm not saying he's great, but he, I would say, did a pretty damn solid job like I, I i don't know like it wasn't incredible obviously lebron and ad exist and austin reeves was great and all that but at a certain point that wasn't the most talented roster and he got to the eastern or the western conference finals winning a pretty impressive series against the warriors so i think you know i i generally just agree wait and see um but the draft is going to be real quick Bryce. i just want to say like there's so much about coaching that we we don't ever see Right with a player, Bryce, we get we can watch literally every single minute they play and dissect it and watch it with our own eyes and compare it to somebody else. And then we have these stats that we can use, and you know, they've gotten better with the advanced metrics, all of that. We can do that with a player with a coach. We essentially and we can do some of it, right? But here's you know, this Bryce, have you ever been in a huddle where a coach drew up a play and then someone on your team, or maybe you were coaching, didn't go out and execute the play? Whether it worked or not, like it happens all the time. So out of timeout sets, all of those things. Maybe Dwayne Casey had all sorts of great ideas that the players simply couldn't execute that weren't being able to be implemented in during the practice time. So there's so much that goes in in a huddle, a locker room, practice, meetings, all of those things that we're simply not privy to on top of just the relationships that you make with your players. And that's huge as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think that's the type of thing that uh, it's it's sometimes hard to get appreciation for in, in, in basketball where we talk about things as such binary. It's win or lose. It's hired or fired. Right. But like there's there is a lot of nuance to this. And I think that even goes with like a lot of people are like when say when Budenholzer got fired, right? a lot of people are like, well, he didn't deserve that. He won a championship. He did all this. And the, the truth of the matter is deserved ain't got nothing to do with it in basketball. It's, it's about how do you maximize the team's chance of winning or growing or whatever moving forward. And I'm, I I hope that the Pistons, you know, pick the right guy because I, I, I love Cade more than I've loved just about any prospect. So I'm, I'm very in on, on him moving forward. And with Budenholzer, we don't know how he interacted with Giannis. We don't know how he interacted with Drew Holiday. We don't know what he tried to do or wanted to do or how the team's reacting. to. And at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? You got to be able to get your guys to believe in your system and execute it. And we just don't see that day-to-day stuff. And, and I'm not saying like, I have no insight. Maybe Giannis loved him, but I'm just saying there's just so much we don't know, even more than whether we're talking NBA draft prospects and teams and all of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
But the draft is going to be a huge part of this team. Uh, obviously, Lottery Night did not go quite as as hoped. Um, we will not get to see a Cade Wemby duo. We will not get to see another Uber athlete guard thrown into this backcourt. Instead, they're falling to the fifth pick. But before we talk about the the fifth pick itself, I do want to ask you, Bryce, is there any chance that this pick is on the move or that the Pistons are going to try and move up or down in this draft? So I want to say that, you know, in the couple years I've been around for Piston-specific draft stuff, there was immediate conversation around possibly trading this pick compared to any of the other years. I've, now you have the number one pick. You're not trading that, right, in that draft. You're going to draft Cade. So even last year, though, I don't feel like there was a lot of conversation around it. I feel like a move up could make sense, but I don't know that they have the ammo to do it, Bryce. Like, let's say – Charlotte selected Brandon Miller at number two and scoots there at three. And, you know, a lot of Pistons fans don't like the idea of adding scoot and I get it, but let's say you want to go up just because there's a huge tier break there. What are they going to give to get to number three? What what's Portland going to be enticed by, you know, Boyan is the one real asset that you're probably willing to move off of. And so, I, I mean, if unless you're going to get into Jay Ivy, Jalen Duran talk. So I, I just, I'm not sure. Let me throw this one at you. I threw this one out on a pod the other day, actually on my pod. What would the Raptors say if you offered number five for OG? That is interesting. I'm not sure it's quite enough because I think, and this this might sound crazy to some, I think they can probably get three for OG and some chunk and some change, right? Like I think OG is is seen at that level. For me personally, for the Pistons, I wouldn't like it. Not that I love okay. the, I don't love the options at five, but we talked about this on the Rockets pod recently. We kind of said like to move a a a you know top five to eight pick for a a player who is not like a multi-time all-star, is a very good player, but who you know, OG or like McCall Bridges, I think of as ceiling raisers for really good teams not floor raisers for teams like this necessarily like where OG's value is going to show the most is when you have to guard Luka Doncic in a playoff series or something that's when OG's at his best when it's like you're you're struggling for an eight or nine seed and you're giving OG like more usage than he should have and and he wants to dribble more and like it's just not really doing enough for your team to be worth that fifth pick if if the Pistons were at a point where they like like they were in 2003, where they have the second pick, but they're a championship caliber team already, 100% would trade that pick for for um, OG. But where they're at right now, I'm not in love with it, even though I do like OG a lot. And I think like there is some some logic there to that trade for the Raptors. The the big picture of what you just said is where I'm at compared to a lot of Pistons fans. A lot of Pistons fans want to go all in this offseason to win now and not win a championship, but we got to make the play-in game. They've, they've got it. And to me, that's way too far of a step forward considering they just won 17, 18 games, whatever. I know Cade's coming back, and I think he's going to have an incredible season because essentially he played his whole NBA career with a stress fracture in his shin. Like that, That's what went overlooked with that whole story. Part of that when it came out was Cade had been dealing with that injury going back to, you know, before his NBA career started. And finally, now we may see a healthy Cade. So I do think they're going to make a step forward. I don't want to speed up the rebuild that way. And I know people are already getting impatient. I want it to grow a little more organically, even though I do think OJ, OG, excuse me, 
could be a decent value for the number five pick. I do think there's some guys that will be there or could be there at five, though, that like, hey, the ceiling's higher, and I think it's worth the swing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's let's talk about that fifth pick because I I there's a lot of intrigue here. I'll I'll go first by saying that the ideal pick to me, if you could somehow make it happen, whether it be through a fall or the one other trade I did want to float, and this is gonna sound really weird, five and Bojan for four to secure Amen Thompson, I think would be really interesting. Now there is a chance that Amen falls to five too. And and for me, he is like if you can land him on this team, you're really, really cooking with gas, I think, because he is a high upside swing. But I also think he's safer than people than people give credit to. Guys with this level of athleticism and like proprioception and ability to make reads in, in different scenarios, you'll like like the Pistons would immediately be one of the best transition teams. And then when it comes to half court off, like you'll have you'll have Ivy and Amen for for transition. And then when it comes to half court stuff, you can run Cade pick and rolls and, and you'll have Durant to be a beneficiary. Is the spacing going to be a question? Yes. But I think like getting standstill shooters is one of the like more underrated, easy things to do. It's important to do, but it's, if you're willing to just like work hard for it, you can make that happen. Like I think the Kings are a great example of giving up very little to just get like a ton of competent, good shooters. Uh, it, it's possible. And I think Thompson is like an ideal pick here. Bryce, what would you think of, of Thompson on the Pistons? And then also, if you want to throw out some other guys who you think like at five, you would be absolutely ecstatic about. Yeah, so I like him in as well. He has been consistently my number two on like my Piston-specific big board. If you take off what is the consensus top three guys in Wimby, Scoot, and Brandon Miller. But I would be I would be happy with a minute five. If if Houston passes on him, they take one of the other guys. If Troy Weaver and the front office think that a min fits well, like I'm cool with it. I love the upside. I think he has the highest upside of anybody that's left. I think you talked about it. His feel for the game, his awareness for the game is really good. I don't think there's that much difference between his defense and a star. I think a star gets this. He's a way better defensive prospect. I don't see that when I watch the film. I have major concerns about both of them just based off some of the lapses and inconsistencies, but the high-level flashes, I think they're both really good defenders, and a men can do a lot of the defensive perimeter guarding that people don't want Kate or Ivy to have to do. The floor spacing is a concern, right? You brought it up. You could play Boyan with the four. You can stagger minutes with these guys. Cade is going to, I think the three-point shot is going to come around. He's been a good catch-and-shoot guy his whole career going back to high school. Ivy was better than what a lot of people thought, especially on open catch-and-shoot. So is there a little bit of figuring it out? Yes. But again, like I said earlier, you bring in a coach, like you said, that runs in transition a little more, that's willing to do that, and someone a little, like how much fun, how much fun, Bryce, is a left side screen and roll with Cade with the ball, a men short rolling, and now he catches with momentum to the basket. Now you have a men making reads to whoever, throwing a lob to Duran. And if it doesn't work, okay, we've bent the defense. We're going to pass to Jay Nivey on the weak side. And now he has an advantage to attack. Like, come on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just to, to and, and to me, like, I, I think Ahmed is the second highest upside guy in this class. Scoot is like the safer bet to be to be an all-star to me, but Amen is like the guy who I could see, you know, sneakily being like the best player on a championship team or second best next to Cade. And, and you know, they're kind of like twin 
twin all-stars, whatever, however you want to put it. Like, I, I think that would be an ideal pick. It does feel like things are leaning Ahmed at four to the Rockets. So that does kind of like, like Bryce, who are some other guys who we'll, we'll talk about kind of the whelming and the underwhelming picks in a little bit, but who would be just like some other picks that you would be jumping up and down with excitement for? I don't know that I'm jumping up and down with anybody at this point. There's some, there's a reason these guys aren't being talked about top three consistently. Right. So the names are Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, Anthony Black, who I've kind of risen on, to be honest with you. I, I like Anthony Black a lot more after diving into the film more, but I was doing Cam Whitmore stuff this morning because of the assist percentage. And I kind of wanted, I set out to put that narrative to rest. And I do think that I found some stats that can do that, but the overall feel is still a concern when you watch the film offensively and defensively. Um, I think he's a good on-ball defender. I buy the shooting. He's obviously explosive, but I don't think it's just like a home run. Taylor Hendricks, I think is a high floor guy. Love the three and D stuff off ball defense. Jairus Walker is interesting. I feel like he's slowly becoming a Pistons fan favorite. And it seems like there's a lot coming out of the front office with Jairus Walker. I feel like you're a little lower on Jairus. So I'd be interested to hear your concerns with him. So I'm I'm lower on Jairus. More importantly than that, I'm lower on this fit. Like how many centers does this team need? Because I, I think, and, and some might call this a minority opinion, I think of Jairus as a center. His best skill is his rim protection. And that's like and not help side rim protection, like like straight on kind of be there rim protection. That's his number one skill to me. That's not a guy I, I wanted the four. I think he's really stiff on the perimeter. Like he gets cooked a lot for, for someone who gets talked about as like a like a great defensive four. He gets cooked all the time. Watching that UCF game, like Taylor Hendricks, who is not a good ball handler, consistently dusted him off the dribble. That's just not something you want to see. And I think it's because He's just kind of slow. Like, Jarrett sometimes gets talked about like he's this uberly athlete, but I actually think he's really slow. He's a great two-foot leaper who gets up very quickly. He's also a great passer. I don't want to take anything away from him. He is a very solid prospect, but I don't think he, he's like a he's like a 6'8 drop big who I want playing in the short role. He reminds me more of like a Xavier Tillman than like a Jalen Duran or like a like a true like top five to ten big. And for me, like on a team that already has, I think Duran's really good. I think Isaiah Stewart's good, but he's a five, in my opinion, at his best position. They've taken a bet on James Wiseman. Marvin Bagley's a five. Like, how many, you know, like five primary five players does this team need? And and if you take Jairus, you are really betting on him to shoot. Like, you need him to shoot to make this team work. And I'm just... I'm just not there. So Jairus was actually someone I was going to put in my next section, which is like the reaches at five. He's, he's a guy who I would be, I'd be fairly disappointed if they take, because I think they took a better version of him last year at 13. So what's interesting is I think a lot of people are sold. The people that are high on Jairus are sold on him being able to guard at least bigger wings and forwards. The LeBron James, the Giannis the maybe even a Jason Tatum. That this is the arguments I've got. And again, I'm hoping today to finish up some Cam Whitmore films. Some I've been busy doing other things, and now I'm kind of rounding back into these Piston-specific guys now that we know where they're going to pick. So I think people are sold on him more as a perimeter player. So I'm really – that's what I wanted to go watch is what you just talked about. I, I believe in the passing. I've watched him going back to high school. 
He has some flashes as like a mid-range jump shooter and some of those things. The free throw percentage is really bad, Bryce, which is concerning with the three-point shooting. Defensively, can he actually guard on the perimeter? I want to go see those clips, like isolation perimeter defense, because if he can't do that and if he's more of a 4-5 than a 4-3, then I'm not near as high on him. Yeah, I, 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 and I, I personally think of him as more of a five-four. So okay. for someone who I do think is is potentially more interesting, if you are looking for that type of shot blocking, is Taylor Hendricks, a name you brought up. I really like Hendricks. I think that he is. This would maybe be like a like just a slight reach on my board, but I I would struggle to be mad at it just because I think he's he's someone who's going to contribute at a high level. Is the finishing a worry? Yes, he's he's like a pure three and D forward. But at this draft, after kind of those top three guys, I think you're kind of losing out on like all-star upside and getting someone who I think is going to contribute in the playoffs is is important. I think Hendricks is a solid perimeter defender. I think he's a better bet than Walker to guard those bigger wings. You don't want him switched on to guards, but he's actually like his hips are quick. His 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 like stride lengths are really short. So like it, it's, he struggles to guard laterally, but if someone just like tries to cook him with a quick crossover, he can really flip that hip quick and, and block shots and contest. Um, but he's a great weak side rim protector. I think he can really shoot the ball. So you're talking about adding that next to someone like Duran. Talk about how much you need spacing, getting a legit spacer and rim protector at the four. You're suddenly talking about a team that it makes at least some sense spacing wise. And then is a really, really great rim protection team because Cade is also like a good help side rim protector. So I, I'd be very in on the Taylor Hendricks pick. How, how are you feeling about that? So here's where I would move Taylor Hendricks up my Pistons big board. And I don't know where I land on this. And I need to think about it a little more in depth, I guess, because I've been talking about it. I think it depends on what you think the upside of Cade and Ivy and Duran are. If you think Cade and Ivy is a, eventual top three backcourt in the NBA where Cade is a all NBA type player and Jaden Ivey's a multi-time all-star. I think you can be a little more comfortable going with the quote unquote safe pick of let's add Taylor Hendricks, a really good three and D defender. Jalen Duran's is going to be this dynamic big man. And so you don't need to really swing for the fences. That's where I like Amin Thompson, Bryce. I'm a little lower on Amin than you. I'm still like excited, but where I really think the Pistons should either make a move for a minute four or take him at five is if they're not just completely sold on one of or both of Kane uh, and Ivy and they feel like they need to take another swing on a super high ceiling guy. I'm not saying you can't use three high ceiling guys. Don't get me wrong. I know the, the more players that are good you have, the better. I'm just saying that I do think there's a little bit of a floor with a men where like Taylor Hendricks you feel like you know exactly what you're getting. Maybe not a lot of upside, but the floor is is pretty darn high. Yeah. I got one more name. You talked about, like, I, I don't know if high upside is the right word for this guy, but you talked about taking another bet on a potential creator. What do you think of Kassan Wallace at five? I know that'll seem high to some. I'm really high on Kassan. I think, like, now this obviously bumps Cade to the three, but again, Kassan is the type of guy who you add him in, you're talking about two of the most instinctive help defensive prospects I've ever watched on the same team with him and Cade. Talking about someone who I think can bring the ball up, can run some pick and roll, can shoot off the ball, is a good cutter. Just a guy who I think is not like necessarily a high upside in terms of like, oh, he's going to make an all NBA team. He's going to be some superstar, but is high upside in the idea that 
he I think he could be the starting point guard on a championship team. And he's someone who can make Cades and Jaden Ivey's life easier. If those guys are going to be your primary scorers, but they don't have to run every pick and roll. You can have Kassan run the pick and roll and then have Cade or Ivy attack attack a, a you know second side with Kassan spacing away. So I'd be into that pick, but I understand that like I'm higher on Kassan. So where where are you at with that? Yeah, he's like in my next tier. I like him a lot. I think he's an incredibly, incredibly good defender. I would love to get him with like a second pick, but I think the push here's here's where I struggled just a little bit. This this was the scoop conversation, Bryce. Was offensively, it made a lot of sense. It, it worked. I had no issues with the fit off, offensively between Scoot, Ivy, and Kate. And I know Wallace and Scoot aren't the same type of players. Where I start to get a little nervous, and people sold me on was defensively. Because now in that lineup, if you have Wallace, Ivy, and Cunningham, Cade is having to take all of those bigger perimeter matchups. And I don't love that defensively. Now, the counter to that is, if you have someone like Scoot, Wallace, whatever, Cade's not as asked to create as much offensively, so he does have more energy for the defensive end, but you just don't want him to get beat up you know, physically in that way. So... I just, I would really have to believe that Wallace offensively is going to take that Kentucky guard leap that we've seen from every other Kentucky guard to really buy into, okay, we're going to move Cade to the three to fit this guy in. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great point. And the last guy who I think is, is really realistic here that I want to talk about um, is Amen's brother, Asar. Now I'm lower on, a lot of people just have them back to back. And I think that's, I think that's a little bit narrow in terms of like how you're watching them. I, I get why it's easy to say that they both obviously played at the OTE. They both have like broadly similar strengths and weaknesses. I think Amen is like far better as a, as a processor, as a passer, a decision maker. I think he's a better defensive prospect. Asar kind of gets sold as a better shooting prospect, but I actually think they're fairly similar there. Bryce, how would you feel about Asar here at five? I mean, I guess I could get talked into it, but I'm with you. I think Asar is a, a tier below Amin. A lot of people talk about like, oh, Asar passes just as good Amin. He can be a lead ball handler just like Amin. I'm like, if he could be, then why wasn't he? Why, why was Amin the lead ball handler their whole lives? And why was Amin the alpha? I've heard people talk about in interviews, you can tell that Amin is the alpha between the two of them. Now, maybe Asar gets out from his shadow and, and becomes that mentality. But that's not easy, Bryce. You know, it's hard to change your archetype and your role, especially when you're 20 years old. I'm glad you brought up the shooting because the numbers aren't that much better for a guy who has to be able to shoot better than what he is. A man, it's not quite as a swing skill as it is for a SAR. It's got to improve. Don't get me wrong. And then I think a man is a better. What do you think about their athleticism? I think a man is more twitchy. I do think he has more creative a handle. I do think he gets into the lane at a higher rate. Just off the film I've watched, I do feel that. Do you feel like there's a separation with that stuff? Yeah, I think I, the way I described it on the podcast we did about the twins was I think Amen is more of like a point guard athlete and. Osar is more of like a wing athlete where like Osar is at his best, like attacking off the catch and his like first step is good, but his bend isn't great. And he's fast, but he's not like able to control his body in tight spaces where Amen is more of that, like 
he's he's twitchier like you said like like he gets out of moves quicker um he's able to kind of maneuver through tight spaces better i think i think ahmed is just like i have them two tiers apart because i think ahmed is like that much comfortably better than than a sword not that a sword is a bad prospect but i'm with you 100 that like at five it just feels like a bit much like he has to shoot to be a positive impact player on this team and there's a world where asar is just like another version of Hami Diallo and I know you and I both have a soft spot for for Diallo uh one of the first guys we ever bought it over was uh was uh little Zion but I uh I I like that's not exactly what I'm hoping for at five so I think we're kind of on the same page there and the thing Hami found his role finally Bryce I know you said you want but he he stopped taking threes they used him in the dunker spot. I would tweet out every single time Hami was in the dunker spot and got a finish. I would tweet about it. He kind of found a little niche. Now, the thing is, that role probably isn't on a rebuilding Pistons team that, you know, is trying to grow. Like, maybe it is. I would love to see Hami stay around, bring energy as the 11th man, and, you know, whenever someone's injured or sick or whatever. But I can understand if somebody saw that and said, hey, Hamadou Diallo can come be that for us on a playoff team and especially during the regular season but uh, to your point that's not what you want at number five I I know we got to keep moving I'm I'm more interested in Anthony Black than I was when I first started the film I do think he's a very high level processor I think the defense is real he's strong he's big I know the shooting isn't there but like I feel like he's a little closer to even like a SAR than than what people give credit for sometimes because I realize Asar's an insane athlete, but it's not like Anthony Black is a bad athlete. And I think he processes the game even faster than Asar does. I think he has better defensive fundamentals right now than Asar does. He passes the ball well. I actually do think he has some good off-the-ball stuff, offensive rebounding, cutting, those type of things. The shot is a concern. I like Black a lot. I think the handle's also notably better than Asar's. I think yeah. my 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 issue with Black is that he kind of has like I I don't want to call it like a mentality issue. That's I don't like to use that. But like he has an aggressive aggression deficiency. He's just ne- like like the amount I've watched Arkansas a ton. I've watched almost every single game they've played this year, and the amount of times where he was invisible in crunch time, just absolutely, but he, he would touch the ball and immediately get rid of it. It's, it's a lot like that, uh, that, like that final bucks heat game where Giannis like almost threw the ball out of bounds. Cause he's like, I don't want it. Like, I don't want to shoot these free throws. That's how Anthony black and the clutch felt a lot. And I, I don't love to get like caught up in that type of stuff sometimes, but when it's that clear on the floor that he's just like, there are times he could put more pressure on the rim as a scorer and he just won't there. You know, he, he just doesn't like hunt his shots like that. He's he's so in deferral mode trying to get other guys involved. And maybe that's a good thing considering like Cade and Ivy are on this team. He's another guy who's really going to boost their transition attack. Like if he shoots, I think he's a great fit here. If he doesn't, then I really worry that he's not. But I, I wouldn't hate that as like an upside swing at, at five. I, I think there's some real intrigue there. He's someone who... If he hits, if he hits, he's like a, a high level starter because, like you said, he can defend. He can defend down and up a little bit. Like he's he's six six, like he's two guard size, but he can guard ones. He's not absurd, like he's not like a lockdown guy, but he can do it, and that will allow Ivy and Cade to be off the ball a little bit. Uh, he he's gonna make their lives easier with his passing, his ability to run some pick and roll. I just 
I, I, I wish there was just like a little bit more of that je ne sais quoi with him, I guess. No, I, I see it too. Like you're the first one I've talked to that has brought it up and I've seen it and I've never talked about it because the free throw rate is so good. So that's what's interesting, right? Is I see kind of just the, the the body language and like you say, you want to be attack mode, but then the free throw rate's really good. So I was like, well, maybe my eyes are tricking me here or whatever, but it's interesting that you brought up like kind of crunch time moments is where it really stood out to you. So I don't know. I think what I've come to Bryce is there's some really good options here. It's not easy to decipher through all of them. It may come down to your archetype preference or your floor ceiling preference. And that's okay. Like, at the end of the day, I think there's a really, really good player, if not star player, that the Pistons can select at five. And this is why Troy Weaver and his front office have full-time jobs doing this, is that is their job. And, and this is one of those times now, big picture with this rebuild, Bryce. I've said that Troy Weaver hasn't had a lot of decisions yet that have really changed the trajectory of the restoration, as we call it in Detroit. There's like three decisions this offseason that really do. And this pick obviously is at the forefront, the coaching decision. Then obviously they have cap space. They have to make a decision on as well. This is one that, that I think he's got to hit because his first draft isn't looking very good. Now, number one pick you draft K that looks really good. Obviously Ivy and Duran last year looks really good considering he moved around to get one of those guys. He's got to hit on this pick. This is one of those big, I think kind of trajectory changing decisions. Yeah. And I think what I'm, fascinated about it was like i i've loved weaver's drafts i even thought like sadiq bay was a good pick now isaiah stewart i did not like i thought that was a, a bad pick at the time and he's been fine i i still don't think that was great process but like like last year's draft i thought was maybe the best draft anyone had i mean getting yeah. ivy at five obviously there's some luck there but also sure. like it's it says something to just make the right pick and then to maneuver the way he did to make to get um to get Duran was just incredible like basically giving up like obviously he had to give up Jeremy Grant but nothing of real like value to this team's future to get a player like that but the stuff I haven't liked is how he's built the roster around those guys like I mentioned there's like four other centers on this team and and not enough shooting wings and like like I, I like Isaiah Livers fine but when Isaiah Livers is like your best starting option at the four because he's the only guy who can shoot, that becomes a bit of a worry. So I, I, I'm interested to see, and that does kind of, I, we like Weaver is someone who will make trades. He traded into the pick to get Sadiq Bay. He obviously traded to get Duran. Bryce, is there anyone kind of in like the mid first round to late first round who, who stands out to you as like a, they could really, or they could or should really target this guy in that area? No, you're right about the team building stuff. I think Adam Spinella said it the best whenever the Wiseman trade happens that, this too big idea is a good idea. He's just trying to do it with the wrong players, you know, trying to play Wiseman at the four, or Marvin Bagley, the third at the four. I think Isaiah Stewart has some upside as a four. He's really good as a small ball five, but I do think there's some upside there. The I feel like Weaver has attacked things, right? You, you needed a face of the franchise. Yeah, he got lucky, but you got Cade. You needed some athleticism. He got Ivy and Duran. Needed some shooting. You got Boyan and Burks. But yet the wing position really needs overhauled. So I'm going to throw out a name here that I know you're going to like, maybe both of us like, but Bryce Sensabaugh would make a lot of sense considering what we're talking about, right? I think there's some wings in this area that, that could make, I don't know where Grady Dick is going to end up going, 
but that would be a name if he falls a little bit or you get back into the lottery and then Sensaball makes a lot of sense. I know Jordan Hawkins is a little, is, is not a little bit, is a two guard, but obviously I think he's the best shooter in the class. Yeah, well, I think if there's if there's a time to make a trade into the first round, if you need shooting, this is the draft. Because this, I would say maybe the main strength of this draft is like shooting two guards who and and some threes. I would even throw out like like I I, I know there's some worries with his defense and stuff, but I like Jet Howard as a mid round guy. Like I just think that his level of movement shooting playing next to Cade is is really fun, really impressive. Uh, I would throw. I'm not even the biggest Keontae George guy. I, I don't like him a ton, like at all, really, but I actually would like him here because he can guard ones, I think, and play I the agree. two as a shooter. So that's the type of guy who you want next to Ivy. Let Ivy be your nominal, your, well, Kate will be your point guard on offense in a lot of ways, but Ivy kind of play as that one, two next to another one, two, but not have to actually guard point guards. So those are all guys for me who I think are absolutely worth a, a if you can trade into that you know 10 to 20 range and get one of those guys i i think it's absolutely worth it there's also a chance as we kind of transition to you know the 31st pick that like one of those guys could fall i maybe not maybe not any of like the top like obviously grady dick is not gonna be at 31 rice sensible actually i think could be as weird as that sounds just because it seems like there's some worry with the injury stuff I think he's a stunt. Like I have him as a as I think I have him at six on my board. Like I think he's really good, and and for him to fall that far, I think would be a disgrace. But it's possible. Um, you know, does a does someone like a Kobe Buffkin fall to thirty one? He's another guy who could be a trade up option. Bryce, is there anyone who stays out to you, whether it be trade up options or like thirty fifth? 31st pick any other guys who stand out to you as guys you'd be really happy or, or interested in seeing in a Pistons uniform you got me really excited about moving in because I feel like what happens tell me if this is wrong I feel like there's some really good shooting in what we consider to be the mid first round but then when you get to 31 unless there's fallers like you guys are talking about that it ends up being you can get some good defensive wings with offensive uncertainty i.e Julian Phillips Andre Jackson's Ryan Rupert Bilal Koulibaly, like, and some of those guys may go before 31 as well. But I just, so I feel like if you're going to trade back in, then you need to do it in the mid first if you're looking for that shooting upside. And I would be really excited about some of those guys you talked about. I actually just did a Keontae George breakdown. It'll come out next week for Draft Digest. I, I kind of, I, I like him a little bit more. I think, I think Baylor was weird this year. Those three guards trying to figure each other out was just, I'm sure it wasn't easy. But I buy into the, at least the on-ball defense on the perimeter. I think he can guard ones and twos, and he can really score it. I, I love – me and you have talked – I love Kobe Bufkin. I think he would be awesome to get. Um, so Julian Phillips is a guy. Bobby Clintman is a guy that – I know a couple years ago the term was pre-draft or whatever, but I think, I think Bobby Clintman would have been a lottery pick if he stayed in school and came out in 2024. So if you can get him at 31, I, I think that that's a really, really good pick. So I think there's some really intriguing, I'm really excited for pick 31. I know everyone wants to talk about pick five. I'm there's a ton of names, but I'm excited about what they could get at 31. By the way, for like some options, I would say at the, uh, like in the mid rounds, I would say 15 to the hot, like, I would say Bojan's probably the main piece that would be traded, right? Twenty million yeah. is is a fairly 
okay number for him. He's, I would say that's very tradable. You could also, I believe, opt Alex Burks, in, Alec Burks in and then trade him as well. Um, so that's like $30 million. So a team would have to either have cap space or, you know, salary ballast. But some like trade targets, I would like like 15 to the Hawks, 17 to the Lakers, yeah. 18 to the Heat. All seem like very realistic options to me. Um, and that's not even saying like, like maybe the the Trailblazers that they're at twenty three, maybe they want to trade trade something away, or maybe the Grizzlies or the the Clippers at thirty like don't want. Now Clippers at thirty versus thirty one is obviously or even not the great, Pacers. But... Like if the Pacers, I know that's a divisional trade, but they have like seven picks in the draft. If they think they're ready to win, maybe they take Boyan and you're able to get there. Yeah, like looking at seventeen and the Lakers taking Derek Whitehead. Like Derek's another guy. If he fell, I don't know that at 17, if I would, I, I might take him at 17, but th- we're, we've thrown out how many names now, Bryce, one of these guys is going to fall to 31. There was a Gigi Jackson is another guy. I realize that's a huge swing with a really low floor. Like I get it, but there's worse things you could do at 31. So the other thing you could do is you could add, if anybody sees any value in killing Hayes, just to attach that and sweeten it a little bit more or Marvin Bagley III, or James Watt, you know, something like you could attach some of those guys, or if somebody was real, I don't know if any of those teams have a contract they're really wanting to get off of Bryce, but you could go 20 million with Boyan. Bagley has another 12. So you're up to 32. So if you wanted to take on quote unquote, a sin contract, the Pistons could do that for a team and say, Hey, we'll give you Boyan. that's value, but we'll also take back a bad contract for you to get off of it and, you know, give us that pick. While we're throwing out shooters, and this guy could be a trade-up or he could be around at 31, Brandon Pachievsky. I I really, really like Pots. I I broke him down. I think he's a a stud. Uh, At 31, like like some more maybe realistic guys, I would say like a a Kobe Brown could be around. I, I don't love him, but he's like a wing shooter. I think... I think what we're what we kind of talked about how it's looked, seeming to round out is if possible trade up into that mid first get a shooter at thirty one draft a a four defender like someone who's a legitimate yeah, like four it. who can defend you know that's Bobby that's Julian Gigi I'm not one hundred percent confident in the defending but at least has the tools to be a good defender and can is going to shoot I think like the one thing I really do buy with Gigi is that he can catch and shoot at a high level so. I think that kind of takes me to best case and worst case scenarios. And this is always an interesting thing to do because it's, it's, it's sometimes like it's, it's, it's hard to say like a lot, you can get as lofty with this as you want, or you can be as realistic as you feel, but let's talk worst case first. I like to get the bad out of the way. I know you're, I know, I know you and I don't like to be too negative. So what, what's like your worst case scenario for the Pistons in this draft? I think the toughest pick for me to get excited about would probably be a Sar Thompson. That would probably be the toughest one. And at 31, I will be honest, the guys I have a harder time getting like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Wilson, those type of guys. So they're in the same mold of what we're talking about, but I just don't see quite as much upside. And maybe I'm just being like an ageist right now because they're older and all of that. But I, I don't, I would be as, ex- so if, if they walked out with the SOAR at five and Jalen Wilson at 31, I'm not sure I would be super excited. 
Yeah, I, I, well, I think what that points to for me is that they don't grab a real, like a sure thing starter in this draft. And that's why, like, as we talk about best case, we'll probably also throw in, like, I, I like Bojan. I think he, I think he was a good bet. I think it's time to move on from him. You're, if you're really all in on making the play in next year, you, you have to trust that it's going to be Cade and Ivy to get you there. And I think, I think best case would involve that type of trade. So, so Bryce, what's your, what's your best case scenario here for the Pistons? So I would say Amin or Cam Whitmore at five. Let's say you're able to swing Boyan for another mid-round pick. Who I'm trying to go between. Green it's a tough group. Rice. It's a tough group to like let's pick swing. who you like best. Let's, let's go Sinsabaw somewhere in the mid first. Because I think that's probably more realistic than Grady Dick also. And then give me Julian Phillips at 31. Love it. Now that to me, that would be two straight years where the Pistons have like the best draft. Especially if it's Almond. If they somehow get Almond, I, I think, you know, it, you're basically playing with house money at that point for me. But I'll say I'll second everything you said there. Bry, uh, Bryce in the mid round is great. If if I had to say, like, I would also throw Taylor Hendricks in it. I yeah, probably yeah. prefer him a little bit to Whitmore. But either way, you're getting like like Phillips has starter upside at the four. If he can if he can hit corner threes, like he's going to be a he is a he's an incredible defender. One of the yep. better defenders in this class. I think he can put the ball on the deck a little bit. Great rebounder, great finisher. Sensabaugh is someone who's going to hit open shots, but also has upside to be like a tertiary shot creator for you. A- another guy who can help spread the love of, of the offense with Ivy, with Cade, and then obviously Amen or Whitmore or Hendricks. You're getting a lot of upside there. So I will I think- say, Bryce. Oh, go ahead. Pisson fans are going to hate this. They they will not like this at all because again, they want to win much sooner rather than later. And so the idea of trading Boyan for another 18, 19 year old kid and all of that, they're not going to like it. And I get it. Uh, here, here's my thing. I understand it. I get it. I just think this thing needs to slow play more. And you know, if you can swing with a men and swing with Bryce Sensabaugh, who I think a lot of people think is one of the best scorers and maybe the best shooter in the class, and then you get defense with Julian Phillips. I realize you're young. You just got even younger. I get it. But I would be really excited about the talent on the roster. And I know you wouldn't have the vet, but you would have $35 million, Bryce, to to go sign a vet in a boy on mold to just come off the bench, be a veteran shooter or defender or whatever it is. And so I still think you can bring in some of that. Here's what I want the Pistons to do next year. I want them to start young, like literally the starting lineup to be Cade, Ivy. What in this case, it would be a men, maybe Stewart and Duran, maybe Sensabaugh or Phillips don't work their way in there and then be a little bit older in the second unit. Like that's where you could win some games is Burks in the second unit, sign a free agent, maybe two free agents and you have a little bit more uh veteran leadership in the second unit to help you win games while your young guys star and are just a lot of fun to watch no I, and, and i'm with you and, and that's where i'm at too like don't don't rush this i i don't teams that fail in their rebuilds fail because they rush um yep. like even like like has it resulted in a championship no and, and obviously like the picks weren't great but like the reason the process has succeeded in making the Sixers a consistent championship team is that they took their time. The reason the Celtics things worked out for them is because they took their time. They drafted the right players three years in a row and took their time. Like 
the Pistons have the core to me. I, I think Duran, Ivy, Cade is a really high level trio. It's about finding the guys around them. And that doesn't have to be guys who are going to help them win now. It doesn't have to be a 30-year-old shot creator, you know, who who is on his last legs. It can be an Amen Thompson. It can be a Bryce Sensabaugh. Like, take your time with these guys. Take swings in the draft. And, you know, you have like you said, you have that money. Go get a, you know, if, if you really wanted to, like, take a big step, give Chris Middleton the max, whatever. Like, if you think that's going to work out, bring, bring Chris Middleton back home. Like, so, Keith Smith always brings this up whenever he comes on the pod is, when you're a rebuilding team and you have cap space, you can't have a bad one-year contract. And he always brings up the example of J.J. Redick, I believe, with the Sixers. And so if they need that, if they feel like they can trade Boyan for a, a late lottery that's Grady Dick or Sensible, maybe Hendricks falls. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's going to, but you know, you feel like you can get somebody you really like late lottery mid-first. Go give... Give Chris Middleton a one-year $25 million deal, Bryce. What else are you going to do with that $35 million anyway? Give him $25 million for one year to come be your three-man off the bench with Alec Burks. Go sign Javon uh, – now I'm just taking Bucks players. Go sign Javon Carter for one year and $10 million to be your backup point guard. And now you have a veteran – You know, even if it's Dylan Brooks. I don't love Dylan Brooks, but I know a lot of Pistons fans are excited. Give Draymond $25 million for one year, I guess, and let him come in and be like the culture setter and all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get my point, though, and you have the cap space to do it. Do it for one year, push the big free agency move down the road until you know a little bit more of what you actually need, and you still have that veteran presence like you had with Boyan. Yeah, absolutely. I think think we're 100% on the same page. Uh, Pistons fans, if you're mad, uh, feel free to quote tweet this with with all your <laughs> anger and and you know spread it to all your all your all your friends and followers and all that fun. As stuff. As long as they come listen to it yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, this was Bryce. This was great. I again, I can't, I can't like, I can't describe my my appreciation for your work and your friendship enough. But this this is always like one of the pods i look forward to most every year of course we had a great discussion you know we brought up a million names and you know it's just it's always such a good time let people know where they can find all your great work and and all the stuff you do yeah so on social media it's mostly just twitter at motor city hoops um tweeting about the pistons nba nba draft stuff whatever draft digest is where i'm writing articles again i'll plug the omaha blue article again i really think you guys would would like it. Um, take some time. It is a long, it's, it's quite a few words, but it's, it's his story. And it's a pretty incredible story. And then also just doing scouting reports. I do a best performance series where I take a prospect's best game of the season and break that down, kind of looking at their ceiling. And then the Pistons Pulse podcast, my co-host, he's incredible. Omari Sankofa, the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Bryce, um, as you know, we spent an hour and a half on the phone yesterday in what was supposed to be a 10-minute conversation. We talked for 30 minutes before we recorded this, what, hour-long almost episode. So you know that it shows you how much I appreciate you and enjoy talking hoops. Um, Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, And then all all Bryce's work will be down below. Go click the links, especially, like you said, that Omaha by Luke piece. Uh, stay stay tuned because we will absolutely be talking about him on the podcast next year uh, because I think he is a probably a top 10 player in next year's class. But yeah, uh, this has been just about everything we got on the Pistons. We hope we are ceiling. Thank you.
We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.